0: of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. As always, I'm your host, Olga Peters, and I want to welcome to the show regular contributor, Representative Emily Kornheiser. Hey, Emily. Good morning, Olga. And I don't know that you have been on the show before, Jeanette, Senator Jeanette White from Wyndham County. So glad to have you. Thank you.
1: Glad to be here. Glad to be here.
2: I was just noticing, Jeanette, we had spent so much time together for a few days there, and now I haven't seen you since the session started, which is sort of a funny thing about working virtually. I used to I get don't. to walk by you in the hall, occasionally say hello, but now we're in our own our own little boxes. So it's nice to see you.
1: It is nice to see you. It is, I, I don't like this at all. <laughs> I, I hate it, in fact.
0: What are you finding, Jeanette, that's the hardest thing about remotely legislating?
1: Well, I think it's really difficult to have as meaningful conversations, thoughtful conversations about issues because you're so flat and you can't see people and you can't interact with them personally. I find that so that I, I find very difficult. The other thing that is very difficult is sitting for so long. Because, and I didn't realize that when we're in the state house, we walk a lot. I mean, we walk back and forth and back and forth and up and down and up and down and back to the cafeteria and back down and up to the secretary's office. And here I sit down at eight o'clock and then I log on at 8.30 to another meeting and then at 11.30 to another one and then at one o'clock to another one. And I just sit here. It's... So we're trying to figure out how to how to do it with instead of scheduling like fifteen minute breaks in the middle of a three or four hour um session, mm-hmm. do shorter breaks more often i don't, I'm sure that you find that too, Emily It's just
2: yeah. My doctor actually, um, I went just like for my annual checkup right before the session started. And she told me that if I use the upstairs bathroom that counts as exercise. And I was like, that is the saddest thing anyone has ever said to me. That is true, I never but yeah. all the time, But it's true. And we used to, you know, just yeah. going from meeting to meeting was a certain degree of motion. And now. Yep. Yeah, it's really, it's wild. There'll be days I don't actually walk outside my front door and it's like right there. Like I'm sitting right, I watch my front door all day.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. But we are doing it because we have to and we have things that have to get done. So we just do it.
2: And better to do it safely. It It is. Yeah, Yeah. I'm really grateful we actually get to have both the COVID safety and right now I certainly would not wanna be in the state capitol Given so, all that's happening nationally, so that's another yeah. another little perk. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. How are you both for you? You know, we have some new lawmakers this session. We have some new people in new positions of power, like uh, Becca Ballant as our Senate Pro Tem. What's it like building new relationships with the folks who you you didn't have a working relationship with before? the pandemic?
1: Well, I can say that we only have, in the Senate, we only have four new new people. And so, and one of them, Keisha Rahm, I have known since I was on the UBM Board of Trustees, and she was a student representative on the board. So I've known her for some time. And the other three new ones, I have n- never met. I don't know them at all. And it is, it's very difficult because You can have conversations but it's not it's not the same so and in terms of uh, the Wyndham County delegation of course we have a couple new people and I feel more connected to them just because I've known them in other um, ways but I'm sure in the house that it is just so difficult with all those new people and then I only have one new person on my committee Mm -hmm. and that's uh, Keisha Rahm and of course I've known her for a while so it's it, it's much easier for me good how about for you emily
2: so i am now vice chair of a committee that i did not spend very much time on and i never spent any time in real life on and so right. i've been making an effort to try to get to know all the members of the committee by calling them and some of our legislative staff that we work with, I'd like to get to know better because I'm working so much more closely with them. And so I'm sending these very awkward awkward emails that essentially start with, let's pretend we're walking down the hall together and this is a casual request to have a cup of coffee with you because I want to <laughs> be clear that I'm not like, I have no ulterior motive. I just want to have like a quick phone chat. And so I'm trying to do that. You know, I'm fairly out of practice with having a meaningful phone conversation with someone. It's something I haven't done in probably more than a decade. And so on a regular basis, and so it's a really interesting thing to do in the house. We, because there's so many of us as a caucus, we have some more sort of formal mechanisms for matchmaking and getting to know each other a little bit. Um, And so I have individual members that I've had the opportunity to get to know much better through sort of essentially like social games. And that's been really, really helpful. And I have a number of new members that I text with very regularly when they have sort of questions about process or politics or whatever that is. And so some of them I'm getting to know very well, maybe even better than returning members, but some of some folks are just, they are just funny little faces on a screen.
1: And <laughs> a, a committee, I think it would be really hard to have a bunch of new people because so much when you're sitting around the table doing, pretty um, intensive work is you watch people's body language and you watch how they react to things when when you're on the screen you don't even know if they're paying attention they could just be sitting there they could be doing their emails and when we're in committee I in person I don't allow any um, iPads or phones or anything in the committee and I, I don't know so and just knowing people's how people react and what what they like and what they don't like and i think it would be really hard i'm so happy that i don't have an all new committee <laughs> it makes it much easier
2: mm-hmm. one you know some of the house committees um at the beginning of the biennium do some pretty extensive get to know you activities with each other and i think they do that in real life too i'm not really sure i was not on a committee that was um that ran that way and i'm certainly not now But for folks who are listening, it's actually fairly interesting. Um, Both the healthcare committee and the House Human Services Committee, one of their first hearings that you can find on YouTube, really like you can hear life stories of some of the legislators and sort of what brings them to the work. And it's it's pretty fun to listen to. So if you have some extra time at home and you want to go hopping through the legislative YouTube feed, it's an opportunity to really get to know some folks.
0: You know, that's one thing I find really interesting about this remote. Uh, State House is that on the one hand, I hear the challenges that, that Emily and, and Jeanette, you are both going through. And at the same time, having these these meetings up online where people can access them anytime is really exciting mm-hmm. because I'm I'm at least I'm hoping what we're doing is increasing access for people who can't normally get to Montpelier.
2: And I think it's a really incredible opportunity for our local media. So yesterday I saw that something I said on the House floor was quoted in the Brattleboro Reformer, which never would have happened under regular times. They certainly don't have the capacity to be sending reporters up there. And so that's, been, that's really interesting to think that our local media from the Commons and the Reformer are able to really see what we're doing and be paying attention to it and sharing it out.
1: Mm-hmm. It does in the meetings, it does become a little challenging in terms of, and I, so we're still learning kind of how to do that because really when you look at it, there are four levels of kind of participants. There's the committee and the staff, and they're the ones that are actually doing the work. So, and then there's um, people that you ask to come to be witnesses or to testify. And then there's observers. And my feeling is that we should allow those people in the room because if we were in the state house, they would have the right to walk into the room and listen, but they don't have any. On Zoom, it, people get a little confused because they think if they're in the meeting, they're in the meeting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: They're, they have the right to participate, but they don't unless they're called on. And very rarely is there time to mm. ask people. If you have 20 people that are just observing, you, you can't hear from them, but they get frustrated because they think they're in the meeting, but they're not really in the meeting, they're in the room. And um, Mm -hmm. so people who aren't used to having been in the room in Montpelier, that's kind of a challenge. And then you have the fourth group of people who are just watching on YouTube. And I understand that there's a chat function on YouTube, which I never knew, which I think we're going to disable
3: Hmm. because
1: I do not want people out there I don't allow people to use the chat function in our committee meetings either, because um, that's like having sidebar conversations. And we wouldn't allow that in the if we were in the room. So I only use that chat function on the YouTube, on the Zoom meetings for um, posting of links that people might be interested in when mm-hmm. things come up. Yeah, the the
0: chat's a conundrum, because on the one hand, it can be a place for for public discourse. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it can also be, um, because these are public meetings, they need to follow Vermont's open meeting law. And how do you make the chat part of the public record?
2: And there's very little technology available for that. mm -hmm. And so, and it's the same thing. On our house floor people will use the start using the chat to just let people know that there's a technology problem and then occasionally someone will pipe up with some policy issue and everyone's like no you cannot it's absolutely unacceptable to be saying anything meaningful in the chat but it is it's very complicated
1: yeah and i did i had no idea there was a chat function on youtube but we heard that in our judiciary meeting the other day there were chat really nasty things being said about us and stuff so Mm. but i think you can disable that i mean that's not if people want to have a uh discussion about it they can do it but not in real time or well anyway that's it's very complicated
0: so i'm going to shift gears kind of quickly here uh because i know both of you have to get to meetings because we are in the legislative session and we only have a few more minutes I just want to touch quickly on the governor's executive order that came out this week. He wants to streamline parts of the the state agencies. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because one thing he's doing is he's aligning uh, some of the law enforcement agencies and putting them under the same umbrella. And I know for you, Jeanette, you've been doing a lot of work on law enforcement in Vermont, how it's organized will this executive order
1: kind of impact anything you're doing there well i haven't actually read it yet we had a an up, a briefing from shirling commissioner shirling the other day before he released it so i I'm, I'm not sure but the way executive orders work like this is that we have until april 15th and if we don't do anything by for april 15th then it becomes it becomes effective but we have the ability. So we're, we're scheduling um, not this next Tuesday, but the next Tuesday, I don't want to do anything to law enforcement until after the inauguration. We're scheduling them to come in and talk us through it. I don't think that it it doesn't impact law enforcement other than the state law enforcement people. Okay. It has no, I, I mean the local law enforcement and the sheriffs and stuff aren't, under the control of the state. So it has no impact on them at all. And I have actually introduced um, a similar bill Mm -hmm. about four times. I worked with Peter Shumlin's um, commissioner and they both agreed that we should do something like this um, because what happens right now is that the department, uh, there is no mention of state police in statutes There's the Department of Public Safety is mentioned and is created. And so what has happened is that people think of them as the same thing. And they're not the same thing. There's these other things in the Department of Public Safety. But because it's so tied in with the Vermont State Police that they kind of get lost and people don't. So I, I think that it's a good move how how it works out in terms of the specifics. I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Beca- and we'll, we'll look at that. I think that the one thing that has come up is around the, um, and this isn't scheduled to happen until three years, I think, is the Capitol police. Mm-hmm. And after what just happened in Washington, um, there are many of us who are thinking that we need to, the Capitol police need to be under the, oversight of the legislature not of the executive branch Mm -hmm. so that we we have um control of them because what happened in us huh they're
2: there to protect us right yes and
1: and if we had a rogue governor maybe there wouldn't be much interest in protecting us as we saw so
2: i think it's interesting about um the limited amount that I know about the governor's proposal is as we've been having these conversations about the rise of white supremacy and in Vermont and um the incidents in Slate I'm forgetting Slate Ridge Ridge. um I've been thinking a lot about how we have no place in state government for real for the prevention side of white supremacy which Mm -hmm. you know happens nationally but there's and I know that some cities have sort of gang prevention units, and I couldn't figure out where a home for that would even be previously when I imagined it being sort of a useful function for state government, and now it seems like that might have a better home in this new agency, which I think is really important given the real limits, um, the appropriate limits on police power in the cases of things like this that haven't are like always just sitting right precisely on the line of legal and illegal and are still terrifying to people. Yeah. Can I
1: just mention one thing that I found somewhat heartening yesterday when, and I had heard this before, but yesterday it was confirmed by Commissioner Sherling that um, the, the things that are happening and the things that are being threatened to happen the, we have four major um, gun groups in Vermont, that, and I can't remember them: the Sportsmen's Federation, the NRA, the Gun Owners of Vermont, and I can't remember the fourth one. And they have all—they're all Second Right, Second Amendment rights
3: mm-hmm.
1: groups—and they have um, canceled all of their events that they had ca- um, thought about a long time ago. They've actually distanced themselves from from what's going on and from the extremists. So. I think that, which I find, uh, there are still those nuts out there and the extremists, but I find that very reassuring, and very um, responsible mm-hmm. that they have distanced themselves and and said no, we're not, we're not there. We They'll have. We have a couple gun bills this year, and I'm sure they'll have people up there testifying, but they are not um, engaging in this. So.
0: That is heartening. Uh, we have just about
1: five minutes left,
0: and I, I do want to check in with both at of you. I'm it's 830. 30. I'm at 8.30. Oh, it is 8.30. I, yeah, I have to leave. I'm so sorry, Olga. That's okay. So thank you.
2: Happy hour.
0: We'll come back if you want. Oh, we would love that, Jeanette. Take care. Bye. Bye. And for all our listeners on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, This is the Montpelier Happy Hour. Jeanette and Emily have to, as you heard, jet off to a meeting. But after we hear from some of our underwriters, I will return with... Stay
3: tuned.
0: Welcome back to the second half of Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also find us at the Vermont the Montpelier happy hour.captivate.fm as well as our Montpelier happy hour Facebook page. And I want to welcome to the show for the second half journalist and blogger John Walters. Hello. Welcome, John.
4: Hello. Hello to Brattleboro. <laughs> as a digital worldwide, digital audience.
0: It uh, Yeah. YouTube. I tell you, we are out there. Yeah. So John, you know, I'm, I feel like I've been asking this question a lot to to guests in the past few weeks, but we're just, you know, we're starting a new legislative session. We are not quite a year, but we're coming up on a year into this pandemic, yet some people are still in crisis mode, some people are ready to go into recovery mode from, so that's an uneven playing field. And then next week, we have the inauguration in D.C. coming up, and of course, uh, Montpelier is keeping an eye out for um, extremist groups that might come a knocking uh, next week. So as a journalist, as a blogger, as you are sitting, looking out at the Vermont landscape, what are you seeing right now?
4: Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I think, I, I think the whole capital inauguration stuff is less impactful here than it is almost anywhere else because Mm -hmm. our cohort of sort of like far right conspiracy theorists is small enough that I think even they are aware that they're not really a critical mass. Mm -hmm. You know, see some really terrible low turnouts for, um, you know, pro-gun or pro-Trump rallies, um, And, uh, you know, like the Stop the Steal thing at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago had like maybe 20 people, Mm. almost more reporters than ralliers. Um, (laughs) So they are aware that they really don't have the numbers to cause trouble. Um, Now, it only takes one guy, and it's usually a guy, Mm. (laughs) let's be honest something (laughs) and you know one of the things i'm thinking about is you know whenever we get through this pandemic and they reopen the state house is the state house going to look anything like it did before yeah um are they going to have to do the whole security metal detector you know restrict access thing Mm
3: -hmm. and i think
4: the answer is probably yes uh, I don't have any inside knowledge of that of that, but the days might be gone where where somebody could just walk up to the state house and wander through the halls during the session. which the gallery would
0: would be a real loss, yeah. I feel to to Vermont because then it's no longer the people's house if you can't just enter a-
4: yes. and it makes it even more so a sort of a little insulated bubble of lawmakers staff and lobbyists yeah (laughs) lobbyists yes um so that's that's not to be looked forward to but in the meantime i mean uh the the potential for right-wing violence is less so here i think Mm -hmm. but you know everything right now is covid related
3: right
4: and what's going to happen what 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 is the state budget going to look like you know, we're going to have a lot less revenue, um, although so far revenues have been better than they thought. But, you know, we're looking at a big hole in the budget unless there's a major stimulus package coming from Washington with mm-hmm. aid from states and the cities. And frankly, the best news for Vermont was the, the victories of the Democrats in Georgia, uh, which means that now the Democrats have a very slim majority in the Senate to go with their kind of slim majority in the House of Representatives. And that means it's a lot more likely that President-elect Biden is going to be able to push through a substantial stimulus package,
3: mm-hmm.
4: including aid to the states and cities. Uh, so that that could ease the pressure significantly. It, it could also give us an influx of funds for some of the things we want to do policy-wise, like particularly broadband.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Which, you know, went from like something that we ought to take care of someday to suddenly a crisis because we had so many Vermonters who couldn't work remotely or kids who couldn't learn remotely.
3: Right.
4: So that is much more on the front burner, but there's very little state money available for it. So, you know, Governor Scott is really hoping for a large federal investment in broadband infrastructure. And I think he's probably going to get it, which is a good thing for Vermont and a really good thing for him and for the legislature. I was talking with a legislative leader a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, I said, you know, it it all depends on Georgia. This was before Georgia. And, you know, this is is either going to be a really difficult year or an absolutely impossible year. Mm. And it depended on Georgia, and they got the right result for in terms of how Vermont is going to deal with this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but still, it's going to take a huge amount of legislative time, to work through budget and taxation and all the policy issues around COVID. Um,
3: right.
4: So that's going to be, you know, a lot of committees are going to spend a lot of time on that, and that pushes stuff to the side. And even those committees that can tackle really uh, important issues, non COVID related, there's only so much bandwidth in the legislature to push through big stuff.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: There's only so much time on the calendar. There's only so much energy and there's only so much ability for lawmakers to rally together for a big vote. So, you know, the chance of of any big like democratic policy proposal moving through or even uh, if the governor comes up with something big, the chances of it moving through are very slim Mm -hmm. uh, this year. It's a good point. and legislative leaders before the session started were even throwing some cold water on the idea of there being movement next year in 2022, um, which is partly because there's so much uncertainty yeah. about how and when we're gonna get through this, new strains of the virus now we gotta worry about. Yay. Uh, but also what, we have no idea what state finances are gonna look like in 22. Are we gonna be recovered by that? Is Is tourism gonna be back? Good. Hospitality? Are people going to be comfortable going to restaurants? It's going to be a long time before I feel comfortable.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: so, you know, there's a huge amount of uncertainty facing us. Um, and in that atmosphere, you know, the the always Im, the always strong impulse to be risk averse is going to be even stronger. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they can deal with COVID effectively, it's a win you know, for them and for us.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and to expect anything else this year is, is pie in the sky probably, and to expect anything even next year is is iffy at this point. Right. So uh, this is going to be COVID all the time until or unless things improve significantly. And as Emily said earlier, you know, uh, the, the remote nature of the legislature makes it a lot harder to have those casual conversations and those interchanges and the the verbal the nonverbal cues mm-hmm. that help sort of slide difficult issues forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's 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 more more of an artificial environment. Um it's fun for me because I sit consider- at <laughs> Sweatpants and and monitor a legislative hearing. I don't have to dress up in a suit and tie and sit in an uncomfortable chair for for three hours. This is true. That is a benefit. But <laughs> it's not good for for making law.
0: No, especially complicated, potentially controversial law at time. Yeah, one of my hopes for this pandemic has been regarding the legislature, and one of my concerns at the same time is. And if you're a listener of the Happy Hour, you have heard Emily and I say this: that you know, COVID didn't really create anything new. Yes. It just really showed us where things were broken, and so I feel to fully recover from this pandemic, we'd not we we need not just respond immediately to COVID. We also need to fill in those cracks, yeah, um, so that we are more resilient to something like this again. And um, yeah, I don't know that we will be able to do that on a legislative level, just given all the
4: givens. Yeah, well, you know, we mentioned broadband, um, you know, we mentioned the travel industry, you know, hospitality industry, who knows how long that's going to take. You know, there's, there's talked nationally about maybe like three quarters or more of all restaurants closing
3: Mm-hmm. You know, if that
4: happens in Vermont, sooner or later, new restaurants will fill in the cracks, but that would be devastating for the rooms and meals tax, for yeah. instance. Uh, you know, and when will people feel comfortable? But it's also you know, housing. Um, we see rapidly rising house prices in many parts of the state. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably true in Southeast Vermont, as Fair. well as like yep. Burlington and a lot of other places. And that exacerbates the difficulty of finding affordable housing.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and at the same time, there's no appetite whatsoever, I think, for like another big housing bond like they had a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, there's that. And there's like the, the impact, the, the unbalanced impact COVID has had on low-wage workers versus, you know, higher earners. Mm-hmm. It's all low-wage workers it's, it's hit women way, way, way harder than men.
3: Yeah.
4: Um, and you know, that's creating, that's exacerbating existing imbalances. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Um, you know, it, it, touches on every aspect of Vermont life. And, and as you said, uh, it, it brings some of our simmering problems to the boil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me, um, you know, we went into this pandemic with uneven, uneven issues. I mean, one reason so many women are being hit so hard by this pandemic is because women tend to have the lower wage jobs. They also tend to be the main caregivers, which means they might, and they tend to be in um, jobs like nursing, which also puts them on the front line or not just nursing, but healthcare in general. And, and so that was uneven going into the pandemic. You know, people of color are hit are being um, hit by this virus at a much higher rate yeah. than than their white counterparts. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like a, a Debbie Downer, but sometimes it does make me wonder. You know, how much more unevenness can the Vermont community take um, before? Well, before people are willing to make really big changes, like the drum we beat on this show very often, like, raise people's freaking wages. <laughs> you know, if people had more of a nest egg going into this pandemic, you know, right there, that solves a lot of problems.
4: Yeah. Uh, for all the difficulty we had, and uh, the legislature spent years and could not, actually uh, implement a $15 an hour minimum wage, even over a period of several years. Um, now, Joe Biden is talking about a $15 an hour minimum wage nationally as part of the COVID relief package. So, um, you know, that's one small step. But, mm-hmm. you know, $15 an hour full time gets you like a little over $30,000 a year. Mm hmm. And that's not enough to afford housing and childcare and pay the rent or pay the utility bills and et cetera. So uh, it's rough. And and the whole urban rural dynamic that Vermont has been on the short end of, you know, people Mm -hmm. fleeing Vermont, uh, which is partly mythological, but you know, people going to Vermont for greater professional opportunities. Uh, And you know the aging demographic and our shortage of young people and kids.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, that all, you know, COVID would tend to make that worse. I think
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, certainly make it harder to address because we don't have you know two nickels to rub together right now. Mm-hmm. So you know we're we're heading into a period where that's either going to be really grim or our leaders are going to have to get really creative. In, in finding solutions to problems.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and, you know, for to a large extent, we're gonna be dependent on the largesse of the federal government. Yeah. And, you know, we are very fortunate to have Pat Leahy as the incoming chair of appropriations. Yes. Bernie Sanders is chair of the budget committee and Peter Welch being pretty high up in the leadership of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Vermont is well positioned to tap into whatever the Biden administration is able to do in terms of, you know, rebuilding America on so many fronts. Uh, so that's that's really what we've got going for us. Um, you know, I, I've written over and over again about the fact that, you know, we've we've got like a tremendously senior congressional delegation and we've never sent a woman to Washington and when is that going to change but right now it's really a good thing that we have senior members with a lot of seniority and a lot Mm -hmm. of credit uh so you know Pat Leahy is going to be the biggest boon to Vermont you know he's always been you know he's always been brought home a lot of money Mm -hmm. uh, for the size and you know population of Vermont but you know he's going to play a even more crucial role in the next two years. Mm -hmm.
3: Um, So, uh,
4: you know,
0: talking about creativity and you are, you really watch the players in the state house. Are there anybody, is there anyone right now that you're watching because you think that they might, excuse me, have some creative spark to maybe approach COVID in a new way or some of Vermont's ongoing issues in a new way?
4: uh short answer is no Um, (laughs) i'm worried about that there are exceptions to that but for the most part they don't seem to be in positions of great influence Mm
3: -hmm. uh
4: you know uh your own emily kornheiser is is a notable exception there she is now the vice chair of ways and means which is the taxation committee
3: yeah
4: that's a big important post um and you have uh, Wyndham County now has two members on house appropriations, which is a good thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and of course you've got Becca Ballant and Jeanette White who is a very senior you know, senator. So there's some influence there in the Senate that you might not have otherwise. Um, but uh, to start at the top, I, I don't see Governor Scott as, as particularly creative or you know idea driven at all.
3: Mm-mm. He is
4: a good shepherd. Yes and you know his sort of stability and calm and reason you know stood us pretty well during the epidemic the pandemic and it still does Mm -hmm. um but do i think he's the right leader to move us from the pandemic whenever we can move past the pandemic into a better future i don't see it Mm -hmm. Uh, he's just not that he's not that creative a guy he's you know, he's uh, more of a he's a he's a manager and he's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, the legislative leadership, we've got new leadership in the House and Senate. Uh, their initial comments uh, at the beginning of the session um, threw a lot of cold water on, like, the idea that there might be big legislation moving through. And that's, you know, largely because of COVID. But uh, when they set up their committees in the House and Senate, there was very little change. Mm-hmm makes you think you know particularly in the senate the average age of a last session the average age of a committee chair in the senate was 72
3: oh wow okay
4: all those people have gotten a year older since then (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there is one new committee chair in the senate brian campion from uh, bennington and he's younger but all the rest are a year older and um some of them are really good and sharp and experienced, and some of them are kind of uh, past their prime, mm-hmm. shall we say. And, uh, you know, tenure has its benefits, and institutional knowledge is a great thing, but I think there's too much of it. Yeah. And I don't see any great impetus in the legislature for significant new legislation on much of anything, mm-hmm. except for dealing with the hopefully flood of federal dollars we get and channeling it effectively, that, that'll be the big thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but, and, and part of this is the, the nature of the House executive relationship or the, the legislature executive relationship. You know,
3: hmm.
4: the legislature has like virtually no staff. True, yeah. Uh, and so they are severely handicapped when it comes to creating stuff on their own they're they are customarily in the posture of reacting to whatever the governor proposes.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Either rejecting it or amending it or something. It's very difficult for them to move, to put together something on their own because they don't have staff right. and they have a limited amount of time. Um, so, you know, we saw what a struggle it was last year to, move, to try to move on minimum wage and paid family leave. Uh, And it's that way, always, probably. So, you know, that, and, you know, um, I don't, I could be wrong. And, you know, Becca Ballant and Jill Krawinski could turn out to be real firecrackers and, you know, uh, get everybody organized and, you know, push them or encourage them
3: Mm -hmm.
4: uh, to move in a positive direction. But um, so far, they are trying to diminish expectations
3: Mm. Uh, which, mm-hmm.
4: you know, again, that's largely appropriate during the pandemic, but uh, it's not a hopeful sign in terms of progress on, yeah. on much of anything. You know, uh, for for instance, you know, the idea of, you know, the rich, the, the high earners in Vermont got a huge windfall from the Trump tax cuts. And yeah. Dave Zuckerman ran for governor. One of the things he talked about was a temporary uh, income tax surcharge on the top earners that would then be invested in jumpstarting broadband and green energy and housing and other thing, other high priorities. And you see where that got him. <laughs> uh, even people who support the the income tax surcharge acknowledge that there's no hope of getting it through the legislature, and there's mm-hmm. certainly no hope of getting Governor Scott to sign it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, not that taxing is always the solution for everything, but this is a moment where the wealthy have gotten a big windfall and they ought to be able to contribute more to the, you know, the common sphere,
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, but that's not going to happen. And, um, you know, the tendency when we're facing a big crisis is to hunker down and, you know, pull our way through it. And that's I'm probably what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For yeah. better or worse
0: well unfortunately Vermont has gotten really good at that because <laughs> uh, it seems like we've been hunkering down and not wanting to change things at least on our economic front for for quite a while and you know uh, what we were talking about with creativity just now it it really reminded me how one of the downsides of how our legislative um, process is set up, with the lawmakers, really technically, we do know it's a full-time job, but technically they're in, in the state house January to, you know, April, May, June, somewhere in there. And one part of the process that I feel is so often missing in the legislative process for Vermont is there's no time for, I know this sounds hippie, but no time for visioning you know there's no time for sitting back and saying okay this is what we accomplished where do we want to go next what is our vision what is the what are the benchmarks we're trying to hit that is completely left out of the process and so it feels like you know how do you do anything but but walk on a treadmill when you're missing that part of the the process it's incomplete in a way
4: or like, a, you know, a ship that's drifting. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, drifting towards some, you know, everybody acknowledges we've got huge challenges, demographics, uh, you know, spreading our economic, uh, what what economy we have across the state, you know, broadband and et cetera, et cetera, the whole list we talked about. Everybody, including the governor, acknowledges that we are facing some real boiling crises. Uh, and yet, there doesn't seem to be much movement, you know, not just in Phil Scott's time in office, but in Peter Shumlin's and in Jim Douglas's and Howard mm-hmm. Dean's uh, to think outside the box, yeah. to try something new. Um, and that's always difficult, but it seems to be impossible in Vermont.
0: Well, even like when the, the legislature asks for reports on different topics, Um, which, hey, when you don't have staff is a great, is a, is a tool. So I'm not, I'm not knocking data gathering and everything, but when do those reports tend to come out? December, January, February. Well, guess what? Everybody's already in session. Those reports would almost be more useful if they came out in July and people had all those months to kind of digest and then, figure out how they want to go forward
3: yeah and
4: either because of the calendar or because of the mindset of people in montpelier you know those reports come out and they wind up everybody says yes we got to do something about this (laughs) and then it goes on a shelf somewhere you know Mm -hmm. this morning friday morning as we are taping the house ways and means committee is going to get a look at the first draft of the uh the tax commission's work
3: Oh. You know, there's
4: a commission set up uh, last year, or the year before, to
3: mm-hmm. take
4: a fresh look at our entire taxation system. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it is antiquated, it is out of step with economic reality. Um, but there was a tax commission 10 years ago. Hmm. And uh, it came up with some really good ideas mm-hmm. that didn't go anywhere. Hmm. So now, in a pandemic, you know, I think the chances are almost 100% that this tax commission's work is going to go on a shelf somewhere, uh, Which if is not a circular file. Yeah.
3: Um,
4: so yeah, um, studies are nice things, but they commission so many of them that it's almost useless. And I think your idea is a good one. If they came out in July or August or September then at least the relevant committees would have a few months to have an occasional meeting or a visioning session to talk about, okay, this is what this report says. This is what we should do about it. This is how we can craft legislation and be ready to go in January. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, maybe they will think about that.
0: (laughs) Hopefully some of them listen to this show. Yes. Speaking of this show, we are almost out of time. I tell you, whenever you're on, John, I feel like the time just goes right by. We could talk forever. Um, but before I let you go, I do want to remind just folks in Wyndham County that um, because we're talking about the pandemic, Everyone Eats, which is the um, it's a food program uh, which partners with local restaurants to to make uh, pick pickup food um, and everyone's welcome that program has been extended and in Brattleboro uh, it was just uh, Vernon Putney uh, Dummerston Brattleboro Guilford it's actually expanded to the West River Valley too so if you're in the West River Valley you can come down to Brattleboro and pick up food as well there's more information online so I just want people to know that now John if people want to read your your blog which is always informative and entertaining, at least in my biased opinion. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a blog. I can be biased about it. Um, Where can they find you?
4: Well, the blog is called the Vermont Political Observer. Uh, The website is the VPO.org. You know, you can always just Google Vermont Political Observer. Uh, or i suppose i haven't tried it but if you google google the vpo you'll probably get me and the vienna philharmonic (laughs) Um, my twitter handle is the vpo one because the vienna philharmonic has the vpo
0: yes i'm sure
4: So that's how people can follow me. If you if you don't remember the web address, just just uh, Google the the Vermont Political Observer or the VPO, and maybe my name, John Walters, and you should find it.
0: Wonderful, thank you, John. The Montpelier Happy Hour can be found on WVEW one hundred seven point seven LP Brattleboro. Your community radio station at 2 p.m. on Fridays. You can also find us on Brattleboro Community Television, as well as Emily's YouTube channel and our new website, which is still a work in progress, but it's there. After you know, we're now going into our third year at the Montpelier Happy Hour. Captivate FM. Have a wonderful.